How many of you, when you were growing up, ever said to one or both of your parents, well, when I get to be a parent, I'm going to let my children drive wherever or go do whatever. You pull out the big gun. I'm going to let my children do whatever they want. Okay. And then something happens, right? You get this sense as you're younger that your parents just don't get it and they're so unfair and this and this and that. And then you start growing up a little bit, don't you? And that first moment hits you. And you think to yourself, oh, my goodness. I am my mother. (laughs) Or I am my father, right? It's in those strange moments that we realize that, yeah, that our story, our family story, isn't all about us. So much about our family is about the influences and the attitudes and the perceptions that our parents and other people, older people in our family, have passed on to us, right? And it's kind of hard to avoid. It's very hard to avoid becoming like them in many ways. And if you think about that, we've been talking about Abraham's family. And if you remember, Sarah laughed, right? Why did Sarah laugh? Yeah, she overheard that Abraham, her husband, was promised some son. And, well, one, she had been barren for a long time. And two, well, her and Abraham weren't exactly the right age for having children. Let's be real. And so she laughed. And now we've looked at Isaac's family. Isaac, you know, the son that was promised to Abraham. And if you look at Abraham's family, he is dealing with the same thing his father's family dealt with. His wife, Rebecca, you remember Rebecca coming across the desert on her camel in the veil, right? She has been barren for 20 years. They had been unable to have children. And so now you wonder if, if good old Daddy Abraham ever had words of encouragement for his son. I know what you're going through. I know what it feels like. You wonder if Isaac ever went to Abraham for help or advice or encouragement. You wonder if Sarah had words for Rebecca, words of wisdom or words of encouragement as well. And I suspect, as we have sort of tried to see how their family might be related to ours, I would suspect that they probably did. That the older Abraham and Sarah would have wanted to give words of encouragement, words of assurance, words of comfort comfort for Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. Now, as we read this story continually and go through it more, this is one of those stories that's full of so many things that we could pick out and we could study here and, and study on and we could draw so much from the story, but we we remember today that we are talking about family matters, right, and things that matter to our family. So considering that, there's a couple of things in that story that I think will be helpful observations for us as we think about those things that matter to our families. And the first is this. We've already recognized that, like his family, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, has been barren. Barren for 20 years. 
That's a long time. And I think when we have that, when we have that time frame in there, I think the impression is they wanted children. They were expected to have children. Right? It, was what, it was what families did. And that they didn't was something that was recognized. Does that make sense? And so they were unable to have children for all this time. And how does Isaac respond? He prays, but very specifically, he prays for his wife. Verse 26 reads that Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Now, I think that's a powerful statement. Because in their culture, probably not having children would have brought about maybe a little bit of ridicule. Not so much for Isaac, because, let's be real, the one to blame would probably be, have been Rebecca, the woman. But what's wrong with her? What's wrong with your wife, Isaac? And there's a bit of shame probably that could be cast upon her because of that. Unwarranted, obviously, from our perspective, but, but, uh, but present nevertheless. And so I kind of wonder if, if Isaac realizes that, feels that. Maybe he's seen her tears. Maybe he feels her shame that she feels that had been given to her and responds by praying for his wife. Husband, when's the last time you prayed for your wife? Wives, when's the last time you prayed for your husband? And since we're talking about family matters, When's the last time we prayed for our children and those family members that are so close to us? And, and understand, I'm not talking about, oh, Lord, help me from not hurting this man. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now, we pray for our spouses because something. We pray for our wife because she has a jerk for a boss. We pray for our husbands because the stress is just killing them right now. We pray for our children because the schools are just a mess right now. We pray for each other because and you fill in your blank kind of ironic, very unfortunate, that the people we think about the most, the people that we spend the most time with, probably the people that we care the most about, often can be the people we pray the least for. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because. Now this idea of, of barrenness it comes up in the Bible every now and again, and and most times, it's a way for God to show up. So for Abraham, he was promised a child, but his wife was barren, but God did something miraculous. For Isaac, the same thing. His wife has been barren for all this time, but God shows up, hears his prayer, and out pops twins. Hello. And so many other times, it happens the same way. And if you and I, we consider that we are praying for each other, like we've already talked about, we can trust that God provides for what we pray for for our families. And we cannot get away from that. And friends, I don't think 
I want to get away from them. As we pray for each other, we trust that the Lord provides for us. The Lord provides for that person who hogs the remote. That person who always tells us what to do. Or for those little ones who just get so loud that God provides for them. Something else in that story I think is helpful for us today. And it's the issue of names, right? Think about a a young couple. They're getting ready to have their first child, and they go out to Walmart, to the bookstore, and they get all these baby name books, right? They want to find the perfect name, right? Aww. So sweet. And there's something about a name that is important, right? In the Bible, names are very important. And most times when people want to come and read Scripture, one of the things they'll ask me is, I don't have to read any funny names, do I? Because these names are long and they're hard to pronounce and they're just a list of them. We just kind of skip over them. But the names of the Bible, Bible are very important. They relate people to someone else. They tell a story in many ways as they go through the different names. And we sort of want to gloss over that. and Maybe that's okay, but... For the Bible itself, as the stories are told out and told out, these names are part of the story. And even for us today, as we're thinking about Isaac's family, we think about the four people that we've been introduced to. We have Isaac, and his name means one who laughs. There's a lot of things you can sort of do with that. You can carry that out a little bit and study a little more. But most people, that reminds them of, Sarah, because she laughed. So I kind of wonder that as his wife is going through the same thing his mother went through, maybe his name is a part of the story. Honey, don't worry. My mama laughed when she heard about me too. (laughs) But look what God did. Look at me. I am a reminder of how God answers prayers. My mama laughed. But here I am. Rebecca, her name means to tie up or to bind, or maybe better said, to secure. And here Rebecca is. Think about these conversations that her and and Isaac are having, right? Who knows if Isaac said, hey, honey, I've been praying for you. Look what the Lord did. She becomes pregnant, and then she's got these people wrestling inside of her. She's thinking, thanks a lot, Isaac. But she was at a point, as they're they're wrestling inside of her, she says, I don't even want to go, I don't want to live if I have to go through this. Yet, she goes to the Lord to find direction, to find answers, probably to find peace. She finds that answer, and who knows if that answer is enough. We could say maybe that it is, because, well, she has those children. She brings those children to life. She secures their relationship with each other. Now, what they do afterwards may or may not depend on her input, but she has secured that family in some way. And then you think about the firstborn, right? Think about how lovely they were. We got shows today that take cameras into all this, and I don't, I don't know how I feel about all that because we say the, the beauty of life and everything, but I don't know. It's not real beautiful. But, but here we are, right, and we got this firstborn, and we look at this baby, and we think, oh, he's so cute 
and Harry. So guess what we'll name him? Harry. Esau literally means Harry. So we're calling him Harry because that's who he is. Look at him. And it also sort of plays into this idea of you know, the outdoorsman kind because that's what the writer says, that he loved being outdoors. right? Maybe the rough and rugged kind of guy. And as he is born, somebody else is born with him. And in fact, the writer tells us that his finger is holding on to the, to the heel of his brother. Ah, we'll call him Jacob. Jacob's name means supplanter, or maybe some would say grabber, or maybe even better, tripper. So even out of the womb, he's tripping his brother. He's just going to mess them all up, right? And even later on in the story, he trips up Esau, doesn't he? And tricks him to selling his birthright. And we kind of wonder, man, Jacob, shouldn't you be a little bit nicer to your brother? But he's just living out his place in the story. He's just living up to his name, isn't he? And I kind of wonder if something we can take from that is that in our families, each one of us, has a very important role to play in that family. Each one of us, as we have learned about God, learned about ourselves, learned about life and so on, are becoming more and more who God wants us to be. And the family that we have to be with together, we realize God has put us together and God makes us all a part of each other together. We all have a part to play in our families. And so as we're praying for each other, as we kind of thought we should be, as we're praying that God would work into that person, we're praying because of whatever's going on, we can be happy for who that person is becoming because that who is God, that is who God wants them to be. They may drive us nuts sometimes, but hey, that's who God wants them to be. At least that's my excuse. (laughs) But we pray for each other, and we let each other be the part of the family they are. Now, names don't mean as much to us as they did before. Yes, we'll have the baby books, and we want to make that momentous decision of what the baby's name will be, or we want to name it after a certain family member, and It takes importance that way, but in the Bible, so many times, your name is who you are, like we've just seen in the story that we read about today. The names have meaning. And even though they don't have the same kind of meaning for us, names still have meaning. I can give you a name of a pastor you've had, and you'll either think, the first thing is, oh, or, depending on that pastor's pastoral Ability, you might say, oh, Mm. I can give you the name of a friend you have or an acquaintance you have. And depending on that friend's ability to be a friend, you will say, ah, or you will say, ooh. See, our names still have meaning, don't they? And the question for us then, as we think about our family name is, what do we want our names to? To mean. Now, I'm not suggesting that we're trying to be in some kind of 
a contest to see who can get people to think better of them. But when people hear our name, what do they think of? Many of you have heard part of my story. Uh, my dad's last name is actually Angel. So I should be John Angel. But things didn't work out exactly how they maybe should have, or maybe they did, right? And uh, I took my mother's maiden name, Fletcher. And as a child, I always wanted to change my name to John, to John Angel, like I thought it should be. And that's exactly why I didn't. <laughs> Just teasing. No, I'm teasing. But I went through, and I was finally given the choice to change my name. And I thought, well, I can't change my name now. John Fletcher is who I am. John Fletcher is how everybody else knows me. This is me. And I always kind of wondered if I made a mistake. Should I have taken that opportunity to do what I had always wanted to do? And then I began my spiritual journey into pastoral leadership, leadership, particularly in the United Methodist Church. And we've all heard of John Wesley. He's the one that started Methodism. But did you know that there's also a man very prominent in the history of Methodism, named John Fletcher. Yeah. Not me, but another John, right? Though I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I heard about John Fletcher, and I read about him. One of the first things I read about him, someone said that his walls were stained with the breath of his prayers. As to say, this man prayed so much. This man thought prayer to be so important that you could tell just by walking into his house. And I thought, that's what I want people to think of when they hear John Fletcher. What do you want people to think of when they hear your name? That family loves God. That family serves God. That family wants to be about God's will. I think as God's people, those are the kinds of things we want our family name to mean. We want our names to mean something that brings God glory. So that one day, one day our children and those other young people coming up who will, who will lead our families after we've done our parts, one day they can come to the realization that I am just like my mother. And they can be proud to say that. In Jesus' name.